Continuing in the book of Matthew this morning, chapter 23, we'll be picking up with uh, verse 13 when we get started on it. Uh, just a, a little background to this is uh, and going over some of the things that we've already talked about over the last few weeks again, but you know, Jesus was challenged by the Pharisees' questions and He came with answers that they couldn't refute. And finally, they came to that point and said, okay, we're done. We're not going to do this anymore. And then Jesus comes up with a, with a question for them, which they, 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 they knew the answer. And then they found out they didn't know. And, and, so, and then we get to verse 23, and, and we see that, that Jesus is, is being, you know, talking to these, these crowds of people and, and, and talking to the disciples. And, of course, the, the, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes, the, the, the leaders of the Jewish people are still there. But, and it's interesting, one, one historian uh, looked at it and said they probably backed away from Jesus at this point to the outside of the crowd because they didn't want to be caught up with the common people. And uh, so they, but they were probably still well within earshot of everything that Jesus had to say. And... Uh, uh, he says, beware of these people. You know, the sermon from last week basically is beware of these people, these, these scribes and these Pharisees. Uh, they don't practice what they preach. You listen to what they say when they, when they read the Word of God. And they, they listen to that. But don't, don't copy them. Don't be like them. They, they, they choose to lay heavy burdens on everybody. So, and basically it's so that they look better. They, are, they really want the seat of honor. They really want to be lifted up high by the people. They want to be greeted in the, in the marketplace. Oh, Rabbi, so good to see you. So don't let yourselves get caught up with this kind of stuff. Don't worry about titles and names. You have one father you know, that is uh, your, 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 your heavenly father. You have Christ. You have the Holy Spirit. Don't, don't get caught up with names. You're dependent on them. And then he closed that, that section with, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And then he jumps into some really uh, interesting verses, to say the least. And it depends on your Bible translation whether you have seven woes or eight woes here. And, and so I'll just get to it right away. If you go read, as you're reading along, you're reading through verse 13 and then you go directly to verse 15 and skip verse 14 because 14 might be a footnote in your Bible. And we'll get to that in a little bit. But that's something that's recorded in, in Mark and Luke was not originally recorded in the oldest manuscripts of Matthew. So, as we have had more manuscripts to work with and stuff like that, they corrected that error. But some Bibles still prefer to leave it as the old, old uh, Vulgate translation, as they call it. And, and uh, so, you might have verse 14 in there. Uh, don't worry about it. It's not something you have to... Somebody will say, well, does that make the Bible inaccurate or something? Or really have to... First off, Jesus did say this. So, it, and Mark and Luke, so it's still valid no matter how you look at it. And secondly, it was a clerical error, but it was easily fixed and it's easily found and it didn't disrupt anything in the flow of Scripture or, or doctrine. Okay? So, you may have verse 14, you may not. If you don't, it's probably a footnote at the bottom of the page or in your center column someplace. So, here we are, it says that we're going into this, if you're reading the, the, the American Standard Version or New American Standard Version, others, uh, you'll be, we're entering into the seven woes, and uh, we've got to start with what is a woe, <laughs> you know, it, and, and, and it's, it's not, it's not the same spelling as woe the horse, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, a word, and I, I'm just going to read from James Boyce his definition. A woe is a lament or a wail. Wail meaning cry. <laughs> uh, a lament or a wail concerning the final end of, uh, for evil people. In other words, 
It's a looking ahead, seeing the end coming to the evil people and being distraught over, sad over. And I have to confess, again, I, I, I point this out frequently, I, I find myself at odds with God's Word in, in certain things. And this, and this is kind of one of them. Because I see, you know, you hear about some wicked, evil uh, drug kingpin of some kind or lord or drug lord or something that that's, uh, gets, you know, gets, gets taken out by another drug cartel or finally gets busted by the police in, the, in a shootout or whatever. And I find it hard to have compassion. And, you know, Billy Graham passes away. And I am excited for knowing where he is. I will tell you personally, I am amazed this little publicity the news gave it, being that he was the man he was. He is a world dignitary in the sense of a thing. But that would have been, he wouldn't have cared and he didn't care. But, but the idea is, is that I, I, I was grieved in the sense that the loss of an awesome man of God. And when it happens to a young man uh, that, that's just, you know, a younger pastor or a number person who's got, they're really on fire for the Lord and, 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 and they lose their life, I weep and I get all sad. You know, God does the exact opposite of that. When, when a believer dies, young or old, God rejoices. And when, when a wicked man dies, God wails, he grieves, he mourns. And so, like I said, I have a rough time with that. I, I struggle with that in my life, having that right attitude. So keep that in mind as we go through here. As he's going through these woes, he's going to say some very, very sharp, difficult things to these Jewish leaders who have lost their, their path to God, if you will, their, their, their relationship with God. And he's going to say some harsh things to them. And he's saying them because there is a judgment coming upon Jerusalem. And, and he, so he's mourning over this. And, and if you would, I, I know I'm jumping ahead to somebody, so another sermon, but just, just so that you tie things together here, at the end of the woes in verse 37 of chapter 23, Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. That, that doesn't sound like somebody who's vindictive and, and, and wanting to bring judgment. It sounds like somebody who's moaning and bewailing this. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So, today we start with verse 13 with the, 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 the seven woes. I'm only going to go through three of them today, so we'll be going through... Uh, to verse 22. Um, so let's, let's uh, read that scripture. Uh, chapter 23, verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if, he swear, if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that had is made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. To understand 
what has this this position between Christ and, and, and what He's teaching and where the scribes and the Pharisees are standing. You notice the, the, He calls them hypocrites. And it's not there, and, and it's one of those things you've got to read, this, read your punctuation too. You, know, you have scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Meaning, are there scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites? No, He's saying five square, uh, Pharisees, comma, meaning hypocrites, you hypocrites. He's calling the scribes and Pharisees hypocrites. And so how do we get to this position? And, and I, I read an article, and so I, I brought it up on my computer because I, I had it on there, um, by Jerry Bridges. And a number of you know him. He's the author of many Bible study books, a, a speaker, a pastor. And uh, the, uh, he wrote a very brief one-page article for a magazine, and I, I want to read this to you. The Pharisees were the ultimate religious people among the Jews during Christ's life on earth. Determined not to break any of God's laws, they had over time devised an intricate system of oral tradition to keep them from breaking the Mosaic law. One would think with such a desire to obey God that they would have recognized the perfect obedience of Jesus and affirmed and followed Him. And yet, as demonstrated by the events recorded in Matthew chapter 12, they were His most bitter and implacable opponents. Why was this so? The essential problem lay in the different understanding of the nature of God. For the Pharisees, God is primarily one who makes demands. For them, the Scriptures of the Old Testament were a set of rules that must be kept at all costs. For Jesus as well as the Old Testament believers, God is primarily gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfastness. But the Pharisees didn't see Him this way. Also for the Pharisees, God looked only at their, their, their thinking, from their thinking, it's, they, they thought God only looked at their external compliance with the law of God. For Jesus, God looks at the heart. That is why, for example, Jesus would equate the lustful look, which actually expresses the desire of the heart with the actual committing of adultery. The most proximate cause of the Pharisees' antagonism towards Jesus, however, lay in His ignoring of their hundreds, 613 of them, elaborate but petty rules that had devised for interpreting the law of God, that they had used to interpret the law of God. Okay? And, and so, uh, not only did they devise these hundreds of man-made rules, but they had also elevated these rules to the level of Scripture. So that to break one of their rules was to violate the law of God itself. And yet these rules not only obscured the true intent of God's law, but also in some cases actually violated it. So that they could get around the, the law and we've discussed this many times, the, 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 their law of Corban. This was one of their exterior laws. And by that, they could dedicate all their money to, as you recall, could dedicate all their resources and money to, to the work of God and ignore the needs of their parents. And Jesus said they were actually guilty of this. What really got the Pharisees upset with Jesus was the way he ignored their trivial and burdensome rules for keeping the Sabbath. In Matthew 12, verses 1-8, through 8, the Pharisees objected to the disciples of Jesus plucking and eating heads of grain as they walked through the grain fields on the Sabbath. Now, here was what was happening as they were walking through the grain field. You know, with, the, with grain, it's just like even with... Uh, the, the, the starvation hay even has it. You know, you can go like this and go, pull, go up the, the stem and, and all the little uh, kernels come off on your hand. And, and, and now you've got these kernels, but they're still in the husks. What you do then is you can rub them like this and blow the husk comes off and you've got just the, the grain. That's what the disciples were doing. They were walking through. Jesus was doing this too. Walked through, went like that, picked some grain, went like this and then ate the grain on the Sabbath. 
According to their oil tradition, plucking the heads of grain and eating them was work. They were milling the grain. They were harvesting the grain. The eating wasn't that. It was the harvesting and the milling. The Scripture doesn't say anything about that in that context. That was not the intent. And Jesus says you've made laws around the laws and you've made them as sacred, if not more sacred, than the laws themselves. Almost immediately afterward, on that same Sabbath day, Jesus entered their synagogue where there was a man with a withered hand. Now eager again to accuse Jesus of breaking the Sabbath, they asked Him, they said they were trying to entrap Him, and this is much earlier than where we're reading now. It is long, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Before healing the man, Jesus answered their question by asking which of them. You notice he answered the question by asking them a question. If his sheep falls into a pit on the Sabbath, would you not lift it out? If then it is lawful to relieve the misery of a sheep on the Sabbath... How much more is it lawful to relieve the misery of a fellow human being who is more valuable than a sheep? You've got, you've got things out of whack here. So you're not only be, see God as a policeman enforcing the law and if you step out of line writing you a ticket, you don't see His mercy and His grace. And so you have these, all of these things, and, and, and now you have the phylacteries, you know, bigger and, 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 and the bigger tassels and all the things on your clothes that we've talked about. And, and you're walking around wanting all this attention because you keep all these other laws. And instead, of what you've been doing is laying burdens on the people. In these instances, that of the disciples eating the grain and Jesus healing the man's withered hand. And I was thinking also of the man born blind. You know, uh, you know just different things that, that, that have happened. He made clay, by the way, that day. Uh, and put it on his eyes. Um, you, know, the, you know, the man, uh, with these instances, the disciples, again, eating the grain, Jesus healing the man's withered hand. The scriptural principle that Jesus applies is God's word that I desire mercy not sacrifice. Does that mean that God doesn't want the sacrifice? And I look it back and I said, no, wait, He required all those things. But the first thing that He wants is what Psalm 51 talks about. A broken heart over your own sin. Because if, you're broken, if you don't have a broken heart over your own sin, your sacrifice has no value. If you don't have a broken heart over your own sin, your tithe has no value in the sense of, of earning you points with God. You can't earn points with God by good behavior. He's not the policeman with this role of keeping the, this list of... of, of uh, you think again about it. What, what does he say about it when we confess with our hearts and believe, uh, or confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? We are saved. What happened to all of our sins on the list? Satan is not going to get to read them against us. It, they're, they're covered. They're thrown into the deepest part of the sea. And I, I, I don't mean to add to Scripture, but I, I see in my own mind's eye and put up a no fishing sign. Apparently, not long after the Sabbath episode, Jesus healed a demon oppressed man who was blind and mute. Not having a Sabbath violation charge to bring against Jesus, the Pharisees now resorted to the slanderous charge that Jesus cast out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that is, Satan himself. Since Jesus cast out demons by the power of the Holy Spirit, their slanderous charge was actually blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Commentators differ on exactly what this sin of the blaspheming the Holy Spirit is, but he was blaspheming God at that point. He's giving credit; they were giving credit to the de to the demonic for something God was doing through the power of the Holy Jesus was doing through the power of the Holy Spirit. Since all Scripture is profitable for us, there is a present day lesson for us to learn from Jesus' clash with the Pharisees. 
We need to be careful that we do not add our own man-made rules to Scriptures. Some convictions that we hold dearly may be derived more from our particular Christian culture than derived from Scripture. And we need to learn to discern the differences. It's okay to have cultural convictions. But we should be careful that we do not elevate them to the same authority as Scripture. So much judgmentalism among Christians today occurs because we do this. But that is basically what the Pharisees were doing. So let's be careful that we are not modern-day Pharisees. I looked at this and I'm saying, you know, when I became a Christian, the, the, the first church that Kathy and I became involved in, we heard very soon, very quickly, even though this was not written down anywhere, no smoking, no drinking, no dance halls, dancing, or dances anywhere. And I remember uh, uh, Bill and Virginia Nesmith giving, you know, people gave them a bad time about this in some cases because they were uh, uh, square dancers. I started to say four square. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's a different group. That's a different group. Uh, they, were, they were square dancers. Okay. They, and, and I went to some of their things, some of their square dancing things. They were so much fun. And they were, they were family events. There were kids. There, you know, it, there, I, you know, but it's dancing and it's the music. In fact, some people of this one group the, 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 were even non-instrumentalists. No music, no, no worship instruments. And if you use them, they've got more upset about you using them than you misquoting Scripture. Okay? And so, here we are with the, you know, no smoking, no drinking, no dancing. Uh, and, huh? Oh, yeah, okay. I got set up on that one, too. I, one of the leaders in the church gave me a deck of cards and said, and then I walked away with them, put them in my pocket, I walked away with them, and he says, you're going to play with us? Okay. <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> entrapment. Uh, but anyway, these are the things that become stumbling blocks because they're not the Scripture. Is it wrong? You know, there is an irony. This same grouping of, 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 of churches, uh, like a lot of churches that are non-denominational, when you belong to a particular group, you still have brotherhoods of groups that you get together with and stuff like that. If you were in, in, in at this church, you know, the, no smoking. If you went to a a sister church in, in Tennessee, they had ashtrays outside the thing. Now, why is that? Because the rules have to adjust to the economy. Tennessee is a tobacco state. And all of the people going to church were tobacco growers. They had even small plots. You know, that's how they supplemented their incomes. Okay, so there it was okay to smoke. Okay, well, that was the same thing the Pharisees ran into with these peripheral laws. They were constantly adjusting them to fit the culture and the times. So not only did you have to, you know, the only people who really knew what was current were who? The scribes, the Pharisees, the lawyers of the law. That's how come Jesus says, you're heaping burdens on these people. They can't know, they can't, they can't win. They, 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 you know, first off, these are tradition, oral traditions, and so it's not like I can go do it and sit down and read the book. You know, and, and secondly, uh, you know, they, 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 they are just, they're adjustable. Yeah. By the way, smoking is hazardous to your health. And I think there's a valid argument that says that your body is the temple of God in reference to that, but if you're going to nail smoking, you also need to use excessive drinking, excessive eating, and a lot of other things that go in with that as well. See how easy it is to get legalistic? I do not fit in the church's skinnies. I don't mean to make light of this. What I'm trying to do is to establish the reality of how far it can go and how easy it is to get there. Members of, of, of our family, uh, we went to church with them. I only went with them once. It was a prosperity movement. 
And my brother-in-law said, look out in the parking lot. He says, you can tell. The only old car out there was mine. 1976 VW van. Ran great. Had a Porsche engine. <laughs> and he said, see, all the, you can see how God has blessed all these people. And I said, no. I said, the people like me aren't coming back. I'm not welcome here. How easy it is to get sidetracked. So Jesus is saying, he's, he's, he's confronting the Pharisees on all of this context. This is what's going on. So I just want to make sure you understand what's going on between the Pharisees and Jesus and why there's such a conflict. And it wasn't just Pharisees, uh, Pharisees and Jesus. It, it was what the Pharisees were putting on the common people. They could never, ever live up to the expectation. So when Jesus hung with the common people, which was where he was most of the time, Jesus says, oh, you're hanging, with those, hanging out with those sinners. Not me, because I know the 613 laws by heart, and I walk by them. Oh, yeah, I know God's laws too, but I... So Jesus calls them, the first thing he says is he, in, in the first woe is he calls them hypocrites. Scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. A hypocrite, Greek word for actor, and includes the idea of a mask. You've got to understand Greek plays, and, and if you had Greek literature or, or, or you know, history of uh, uh, Western literature and stuff like that, which goes back to Greek plays and stuff like that. You understand, the women weren't allowed to act, so the men had to wear the women's masks and all this kind of stuff. Okay, when they did this, they were being hypocrites, meaning that they were portraying to be something to you that they're not in here. And that's the reason why I made sure you understood even you know, having a man play a woman's role. Okay? And, and so that's that you know, idea of this word hypocrite. Well, by the time Jesus comes, hypocrite had become a terminology used to say anybody who is not being honest on the outside in reference to who they are on the inside. And it's not like there's a set standard of rules. If you break these rules, you're a hypocrite. It's you're a hypocrite if you have you, you're this on the inside and you're portraying to be this on the outside. You could portray. Um, well, I think of a person who 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 was telling me that his lifestyle had to portray that of a wealthy person. Uh, uh, you know because. You know, he, in order to be successful in the business that he was in. So he was in debt up to here, but he was driving the right car, had the right house, wore the right clothes, had the horses, had, the, you know, had all the trimmings. And finally, went, well, he went bankrupt several times. But, uh, you know, he, that was his idea. You have, if I don't show up in this car, I won't be portraying the thing that, that I need to in order to be successful. He was a hypocrite. I'm not going to tell you where and how much of the time, but I, I find that there are times where I am a hypocrite. Meaning, I, I think one thing and say one thing, and then at times catch myself being something different. If I fly off the handle and become angry, <laughs> you know, uh, you know and, 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 or I have an angry character inside and, and I, I try to contain it out here, but, but I don't have any problems with it. I might be actually a murderer in that context. That was what Jesus was saying about certain aspects of the Pharisaic people. You could think all the thoughts you wanted, but as long as you didn't do it. You see, we, we want to be careful that we, we can come into examining ourselves and say, I don't, you know, hypocrisy can occasionally apply to any of us. What were the, this is who he was talking to, scribes, Pharisees, the hypocrites, you hypocrites. He, what he was saying was, you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. And I'm, you know, and I'm thinking, 
you know, you know, they're, 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 how does that, that work? And he says, well, the problem is that, you see, you have to understand what he says next. You're not going in in the first place. And what you're trying to do in your proselyting, which we get down here a little bit further, is you're making people that are proselytes, but you're not making saved people. You're not making people following God. You're just making more Pharisees. You're not, you know, and as a result, they're just, they, they, they may even become and have become, as a track record goes, the, the more, they, they were becoming more legalistic all the time. He says they're, they're twice as bad as these Pharisees are much more legalistic than these Pharisees were. So you're, you're busy reproducing the wrong thing. And, 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 and you talk about the kingdom of God, but you're not even going there. And not only are you not going there, but as you make more Pharisees like yourself, who think like yourself, who have the same values as yourself, the same belief windows as yourself, you're helping them to not get there. You're blocking the way. You're becoming blockades. You're becoming detours. And when I was looking up one of the definitions and the word detour came in there, I immediately thought of Pilgrim's Progress and going on the road to the kingdom and, and the detours that were, you know, legalist, by the way, is in there. And a lot of other things that are in there that come under these same categories. He says, you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Uh, and, and what he's talking about, you know, is, is you block the way for others. And how is this possible? You refused, you rejected Jesus Christ. By refusing him, you re- you're automatically now rejecting the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Not going in yourself. You block the ways to others. Like I said, verse 13, you jump to verse 15. Verse 14, just for a side note, you can go, uh, it says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore you will receive the the greater condemnation. If you get into a a study on that, what basically is that here are these, these Pharisees, you know, basically... Oh Lord, provide for the needs. And they have the resources to provide for the needs, but they can't use them because Corbin. Okay, and in the meantime, the widow owes money, so I have to possess, repossess her property because her husband died and she has no way to make a living. You see the, the, what Jesus is, is looking at there. Even though that's not one of the woes that goes here, that was. You know, it would fit fine. Uh, verse 15 says, you know, uh, goes with verse 13. And, and that has to do with, you know, a better order here anyway. Uh, work hard for, you, you work hard to get a proselyte. A proselyte was a convert to the Hebrew people. You're proselyting. If, we, if, if, if you're ever accused of proselyting, what they're saying is, is that you're trying to be friends with other people to get them to come to church here. <laughs> yeah. And, and so proselyting, that's what it is. Well, here they were trying to, he says, you'll go out of your way, you'll go you know, over the mountains, over the seas to get a, 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 a proselyte and, and, and a convert. And, and, and then you, you succeed in getting one. But it's not a convert, it's not really a convert to God. It's a convert to Phariseeism. And they're more legalistic than yourself. In other words, they're twice as condemned. They said, you know, the idea of, of a child of hell. It's a harsh statement. Child of Gehana, which was the symbolic picture for the Hebrew people of what hell would be, which was the continuously burning uh, garbage dump outside of the city. That the fire never went out. Ever. And then verse 16 is, again, woe to you. And now he doesn't use the word hypocrites. He uses, woe to you, blind guides. I'm thinking it's an interesting transition here. Why wouldn't he continue the, the same format? Okay. The word blind here, you looked it up in your Vines dictionary or, or you know, one of the concordances, you'll get words like as, uh, that are... are describing it as 
like darkness, smoky, opaque. You can't really see through it. And the guide is a leader or a conductor or a teacher, a person who takes people. So he says, you guys are so caught up in in the darkness, you're blind, you can't see through the smoke that you create, and yet you call yourself guides and teachers and leaders. You're blind guides. You can't lead anyone. What does Jesus say? What the ultimate picture in, in Matthew 15? I know it was in a. You know, we've already gone over this. But he says, if, if a blind person is leading a blind person, what's going to happen? Both will fall into the pit. Verse 17, he says, "You blind fools." And, and what he's talking about is they get into talking about the altars. How do we justify our oaths? I promise to do something. I swear I will do something. I swear by... Okay. Well, if I swear by the, the temple, or do I swear by the gold in the temple? Well, if you swear by the gold in the temple, then that's a binding oath. But if you swear by the temple... Well, no. Somebody else is going to argue the other way around. So there's you know, kind of loopholes here. Because what if I say, I swear by the temple, and I don't say, and the gold, that I will take care of something, and then I choose not to. Well, I'm released from that. Because I didn't say, swore by this. Same thing with the altar or the gift. Jesus says, it doesn't matter what you swear by. The real issue is, and he goes back to the Sermon on the Mount. All of this ultimately is interesting. He takes us back to the Sermon on the Mount in one way or another. And, and you go back to the Sermon on the Mount and it says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Period. Don't go around, I swear by. I, you, you know, you, you hear somebody say, I swear on, and they'll, they'll name a relative, my, I, my mother's or my father's grave. Okay? Well, I, you know, I, I, I don't even remember what, what the context was, but there was something that I was looking at the other day. That, oh, it was an old movie. Um, I swear on my mother's grave, and the guy said, your mother's not dead. <laughs> you know, uh, you know I, I, honest, I, I will, I'm going to do this. I will take care of it. Don't worry about a thing. Cross my fingers. Don't. How many kids grew up, do this? They cross. My fingers were crossed. I don't have to really do it. I said I would, but I don't have to because my fingers are crossed. I promised I wouldn't tell anybody your secret, but my fingers were crossed. Let me. See, okay. Next time I talk to you, let me see your hands. <laughs> okay. I'm telling you this. My shoelaces were crossed. <laughs> That's how far we took it as kids. I don't know how far you took it as, as kids. You know. Um, we're looking for a way to, to, to create an image of, you know, rightness, righteousness, if you will, and, and dependability, and I'm a good person, but constantly looking for the loophole that frees me from having to follow through. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Anything more, Jesus says in in Matthew chapter 5, anything more comes from evil. And basically how this happens is it's it's what we do. We, We look for ways to have loopholes so that we can justify one kind of action and, and that's why, you know, what's the greatest commandment? Because, you know, the most important commandments, these aren't as important. So if I break one of these, no big deal. But if I break this one, woe is me. And in some cases, we even have standards in our own mind. Well, this person did this. But this isn't as, as bad. Jesus says, and the Word of God says very clearly, you break one, you have broken all. You are guilty of all. In other words, it doesn't matter. The quality, the, 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 the severity of the sin has nothing to do with how it's judged. It's all judged the same way. It separates you from the throne of God. So, 
coming back to like Matthew chapter 5, uh, you know, looking at uh, just past the Beatitudes, which we read this morning, uh, Jesus talks about adultery, uh, murder, well, he talks about murder, adultery, he talks about oaths, he talks about giving, he talks about praying, he talks about fasting. He says, you have all these things you do over here, and, 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 and he says, you, you, you've got it mixed up. You're doing it all to either draw attention to yourself or to get yourself off the hook. I am not an adulterer because I have never had sex with another woman than my wife. Ah, but have you contemplated? You know what the answer really, you know, generally speaking is, you know, is that probably everybody has at some point or another been less than, you know, righteous in this. Jesus says that's the same as committing the act. Dwelling on it in your mind. Because the mind is where the, 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 the center of, of who you are is really about. How you think, what you dream about, what you think about, what your daydreams are about. You hate someone, you've murdered them. How are we to treat our enemies? Oh, we're to hate them. Or to even love them and give them the opportunity to even feed them and give them water. So contrary to the way our flesh thinks. And so the, the Pharisees had just rounded themselves out so that they could avoid these things. And the thing, same thing with oaths. You know, now we, we, you know, I swear by this, doesn't count. I swear by this, yeah, I got to do it. Look again at the Beatitudes. And I just, just to look at, reflect on a couple of them real quickly here. As Jesus is teaching, He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The Pharisees were proud in spirit. It's the opposite. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What are we to mourn over, by the way? Our sin. The Pharisees didn't do that. He'd stand at a prayer time and give his offering and a prayer time and say, thank you, God, for not making me like this sinner over here, the tax collector. That would be his prayer. No broken heart at all. Blessed are the meek. I'm walking down the street as a Pharisee. I'm upset because you didn't you didn't notice my, my phylacteries are bigger and my flinch is bigger and you didn't say, Hi, Rabbi. You didn't greet me properly. Versus, I don't need that. Uh, before the throne of God, I, I'm nothing without my, my, God, my Lord. A tassel doesn't do anything for me. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They wanted the appearance of this. But what they hungered and thirsted after was honor and glory and the best seat at the table. That's what Jesus has accused them of. Blessed are the merciful. Taking the widow's house? Sorry, it doesn't work. Corbin to my family? Not helping my parents? doesn't work. The mercy's not there. Blessed are the pure in heart. Jesus is saying you can't be pure in heart and have these double motives. Blessed are the peacemakers. The only thing that the Pharisees and the scribes cared about was being at the top of the the group. And if they needed to twist and turn a few knobs to upset apple carts here and there, they were glad to do it as long as they would come out on top. The reality of that is what they ultimately do to Jesus. It's so opposite. They were so opposite of what God was wanting. And that's why Jesus would say, if if they're reading the Word, listen to them. But if you're looking at their actions, please don't copy them. Why? Because they don't have the right priorities. They don't, they don't know God. 
And it brings us always to this point of, of self-examination. I, I, I know that I know that I know that I am saved. I believe that. I, I'm confident of that. But there are still times in my life where I say, how can I, I, I be so off-center? Well, we're thankful that this is where the Holy Spirit works in us. It brings us conviction about where we stand and where we're walking. Or we simply see through a set of verses, uh, through a teaching, through, through reading, through study, uh, a, a clearer picture. And you realize, oh, I've got to get, I, this is the, the, the way. I'm on a detour. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to be there. And the desire, desire created me the desire for what? A clean heart. So as we go into communion this morning, I think that's an appropriate thought. You know, created me a desire for a clean heart, Lord. A heart that would honor you in all circumstances. And uh, the desire to have that a daily part of your life. Ask the ushers to come forward. Pass the emblems out. Hold them until we've all been served and we'll share together. the night that Jesus shared what we traditionally call the Last Supper with His fellow disciples. 
took bread and said, this is my body broken for you. And after he'd given thanks, broken it, he gave it to the disciples and asked as often as they would share this, that they would do it as a remembrance to him. took a cup of wine and said, this is my blood poured out to purchase the covenant of, uh, for you. The, the covenant of grace that he's talking about. Just basically, once you rest in this covenant, you know, no more sacrifices. Well, this was the last sacrifice that had to be made. No more sacrifices to teach us about the one that was coming that needed to be made. This was it. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. So every time we take this cup and share it together until He comes again, we can rest with the confidence it is finished. There's nothing to bring to the cross to purchase our salvation. Jesus paid it all. We thank You, Lord, that we can come with a confidence that as we rest in Your grace, we rest with the the knowing that our, our, our sin is covered through your gift of, of grace, your mercy, your love. We thank you. We ask, Lord, that you would make that uh, something that would be moving us constantly towards seeking your, your life for our way of living, your thoughts for our way of thinking. We ask that You, through Your Holy Spirit, would open Your Word to us as we study, as we, as, as we read, and, uh, to better know You and to walk closer to You. And help us, Lord, to lead others to You. Not to a church, not to a, way of, a particular way of thinking, but to lead them to You in salvation, Lord. We worship You. We thank You for all that You are to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we close? We have some refreshments in the back if you have time to visit for a little while. I want to say, Lord bless, thank you for being here.